0: Hello and welcome. This is your host, Jonathan Morgan, and you're listening to Design Everywhere, the podcast that invites you to ask, what if, and challenges you to understand the why that drives design. When we think of a designer's toolkit, a vision of pens, pencils, markers, post-its, or software might come to mind, but there's more to design than just putting pen to paper or pixels on a screen. There are tools that help designers structure their thinking create focus or break free of their biases or constraints of their prior personal experience. These are the kind of tools we're going to talk about today. Well, not just the tools, but a community built around learning, experimenting, and sharing their experiences with these tools. We're going to talk about the Mighty Minds Club and its creator, Stephen P. Anderson. Here's our conversation. Today is the second part of my discussion with Steven Anderson. We've recently discussed his new book, Figure It Out, Getting From Information to Understanding. Be sure to check out that episode if you haven't already. But today's discussion is going to be on a new endeavor, something that that Steven's working on called the Mighty Minds Club, which is part educational resource, part collaboration slash social platform for designers and, and product teams. So welcome,
1: Steven. Hey, great to be back.
0: So my description was probably pretty lame and just not do it uh, full justice. So maybe you can uh, let our listeners know what is the Mighty Minds Club? What's the, the backstory on that?
1: Sure, sure. The Mighty Minds Club is a place where we can go deep with tools that bring people into dialogue around complex topics. So tools, dialogue, complex topics. That's kind of the, the center of what it's about. And that probably doesn't make any sense yet. But let me give some an examples and where what, where I've arrived over the past uh, several years. So one of the things I think I mentioned in the last uh, podcast. I was in an executive role at a smaller company, and then I went to a larger company, and there was a consistent theme there of culture change. And one of the things I started doing was bringing in these tools that were really useful for cross-functional teams. So an example being. I might bring in the, for example, the four forces you know, model from jobs to be done theory, which for those who haven't seen that yet, it's a great way to assess how do we get from you know where we're at now to the culture of behaviors or the adoption that we want in the future. And it looks at four forces, those being things that pull towards the future and things that push against. Great model. That one I brought because in one week, three completely different conversations, it it entered the conversation. I brought it to the conversation because, like, hey, I think you need to look at this. This would help your team, which was a sign. I should probably bring this to the rest of the, the group at our weekly meetup. So that's one tool, right? Another one that we actually used at a, an offsite where we had all of the designers and product managers in the room together for a weekly training. And this was about 100 to 110 designers and product managers. So quite a few. One of the tools we used there was a tool called polarity mapping. And just to step back a, a bit, I had reached out to a friend about a month prior and said, hey, I'm bringing together designers and product managers who, you know, there's some great relationships, there's some that aren't so great, right? Kind of universal problem. I want them to discuss and debate something where they're both right and they're both wrong. Do you have a tool for that? And my friend who's a, a coach, she thought a minute, she said, polarity mapping. I'm like, great, what is it? I've never heard of it. <laughs> and so I learned everything I could, uh, brought that to that workshop, among other things. And I picked a tension that's neither right nor wrong. It's a both and. It's a paradox. And that tension, of course, and you, you, language may vary here, but was between a discovery mindset versus a delivery mindset. So the kind of upfront customer research, planning, being thoughtful, Building out the architecture, right? Versus let's just build, throw stuff against the wall, see what happens, release it, you know, and learn as we go. And this these two mindsets, and neither's wrong, neither's right. They're both wrong and right, right? And so What polarity mapping does is says, okay, put those things on this map and we want you to assess the, the benefits of one extreme and the unintended consequences of that extreme. And then let's swing to the other and talk about the benefits of the other position and the unintended consequences. So it's just four boxes, but the point being, you start to see the richness of how interrelated these two concepts are. And the best metaphor I heard was, it's kind of like breathing. Like you don't talk about, should we focus more time on inhaling or more time on exhaling? It's like, you do both, right? You need (laughs) both. And so understanding and appreciating the tension between these polarities is the whole point. It is, they are a paradox. It's a both and situation, not an either or. And fundamentally, that's a challenge to a lot of our thinking, which tends to be very linear. Okay, A or B, I got to make a choice. Boom, let's go with B, right? And this is saying, well, no, let's not do that. And particularly with polarities, you see cultures where they'll double down on one approach or tactic for several years. And then when things start off great, but when they've recognized the unintended consequences and the culture starts swinging and over a period of time, it swings to the other extreme. And this goes back and forth over decades, right? And so the polarity mapping says, let's experience all that in an afternoon so we can not swing to these extremes and we can balance them. So bringing tools to the teams to facilitate dialogue around complex topics, that's an example. Uh, at the same time, I became a trainer to deliver this self-awareness training. So looking inward at things like, am I being driven by my ego in this decision or how I'm behaving? What beliefs do I have that may be not based on a fact are influencing my decision or the situation? So it's... And the... the group we were working with out of Northern California, they had a lot of really nice canvases and diagrams and charts to use to help facilitate this self-reflection. And so I started looking at those and thinking, wow, these are powerful. And more to the point, a lot of times when we have these external tensions, it's really a reflection of someone's internal tension with themselves or these team conflicts. And so this is really important that that we address. So tools for designers and product teams to facilitate conversations, tools for self-awareness. And I'll round it out with one other thing, which we talked about in the last podcast, which was physical, tangible things to think with the value of tools like the Mental Notes card deck, but also canvases like the business model canvas or um, polarity mapping and the the value of these tools themselves. And so if that's what's been simmering in the background in my brain, I, I think at the end of last year, 2019, I started fig- trying to figure out what do I want to do with all this? What do I want to do just from a mission perspective, a purpose perspective? And where I arrived is, you know what? I want to find and promote, explain, share all these really great tools that are out there. If there is a tool that should exist that doesn't yet, I want a platform where I can create that and bring it to people and we can test it and learn together. And that that learn together part is vital because it's one thing for me to say, here I am, the teacher, I've done all the research, I'm going to present this to you. But it's another thing to say, here I am, here's everything I've learned, but I'm still learning, give me your feedback, you try it out, you tell me what works, what doesn't, and let's build up the collective intelligence here around this this tool. And so um, that's kind of the background or the story of Mighty Minds. And I think I said early on, tools, dialogue, complex topics. Another pitch I've used um, that's more about the how is, I say it's a Method of the Month Club. So every month we go deep, really deep, <laughs> with one tool. So in a year you'll be exposed in a very deep way with twelve tools. And when I say deep, like you could go out and facilitate your team with this tool, whatever it may be. Yeah, that <laughs> <It> was very <laughs> long. <weekend. laughs>
0: no, 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 it's awesome, and I, I, I can. I'm a proud member of uh, the Beta Club. So it's, it's been interesting because I, I think there's some a couple of things that you brought up. One is in the title, you use the word club. The club to mm-hmm. me um, uh, makes it feel more like, it's like, this is flat. We're going to get through this together. And my experience with it so far is you're planting the seed and there's a bunch of people that are going to work together to kind of share their experiences, bring additional insight to the table. So, you know, what it was on day one is might not be what, Maybe not intended isn't the word, but is going to be a surprise, a pleasant surprise at the end that there's all these different ways that you can use these different tools.
1: I hope that's the case. I I want it to be a vibrant, thriving community where we're all sharing and learning from each other. And gosh, like... You've seen it, like, there's some smart people in here. And yeah. I'm like, wow, why, <laughs> why am I at the center of this? Right? And so I'm looking for more opportunities to uh, promote some of the other folks who have ideas. And um, I think at least while we're getting our footing, you know, me going deep with a tool because I can afford to do that right now and making that as the social object around which we gather is probably fine. But I would love to scale that and see other people doing similar things as we move move on. Um, in fact, one thing I've already I'm already thinking about is I'm learning as you as you've seen as a as a member of the club. <laughs> I'm learning that wow, this is a, a bit more work than I thought just to publish one of these reports in a month, which which was a, a, an open question for me. And how can I relieve some of that that pressure that's all on me? And I have this idea. I'm sharing it for the first time here, so I haven't shared this with anyone else. Uh, maybe like every fourth month is kind of like a sampler month where I reach out to five people. Who I know have developed their own tools or models and it's I'm going to date myself again here it's kind of like those cds cd samplers we used to get back in the day where yeah. you can sample like you know 20 bands on one cd well you could sample five uh people in their original models um you know every fourth month for example so now it's a platform for the, these folks to um share what they're doing uh it, it buys me a little bit of time you know every, every quarter or so or every Three months, so it's yeah. um, you know one of the ideas I'm looking at, um, and there are other things that I could definitely share the burden, so it's not all on me. And I think there's a bunch of folks who would be, love to help out, which makes us to the ethos of what this is all about.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. A couple of things: one, this like method a month, you know, like having something new to try every month. Designers, I, I guess, like me, and there's probably a lot of people like me that are always looking for like what's that new tool that's going to help me get through this challenge or this challenge. And it's not one size fits all. I mean, that you have very specific challenges. There are some tools that are better made for that. But I know myself, I'm guilty of this big time, is the, the fact that I don't give myself the proper time to focus on one and really, really, really go deep and learn about it before I'm already trying to like figure out, is this, you know, I might get two days into it and just be like, is this the right one? And then you start second guessing and looking for others. So I really liked it, this like kind of collaborative way and like a social way of, of going deep on any one of these methods or
1: concepts. Today, I'm going to be pushing the publish button on part one of the first report, but I'll give you a sneak preview of what I learned there. So going into it, it's the tool I'm looking at, it's a tool from the futurists use called Alternative Futures. And the goal with Alternative Futures is to step into one of four possible archetypes that years of academia and research have identified as like all our stories, all of our research, all of our scenarios about the future fall into one of these archetypes. And so going into it, I felt an enormous amount of intellectual comfort just being able to know that for all the chaos that's going on in the world right now, it probably fits into one of these four buckets. Like that was enormously comforting for me. And then I could brainstorm within the constraints of those four buckets, if you will. Of course, researching it, I quickly discovered some things. One, what those four buckets are and what they're called varies with different schools of thought and different people, which kind of questioned the whole, like, I thought these were fundamental archetypes (laughs) premise, right? And then it's not just four. In some cases, it's five or six archetypes. And so now I'm scratching my head and wondering about you know how how, how uh, reliable are these right? And then I had a huge insight, which I think was really critical, which was mm-hmm. there's one way that traditional I would say academic futurists use this, which is um, a process called incasting, where it typically looks out 20 to 50 years from now and says, okay, you are going to step into a future of collapse, or you're going to step into a future of tech transformation, or you know one of these four futures or six futures, and then once you're in that future, and then by the future, I mean the world, brainstorm all the things that happen within that world. So that's one way. The other way, and the way I was introduced to it, was not so much about a generic future as much as a pattern of change. So we know from patterns of change literature that things collapse, things remain as they are, you know, continue growth, things might transform, you know, uh, and so on. And when you talk about patterns of change, then you can point it at a much nearer frames, so like this time next year or five years from now, and you can point it at a much narrow topic, like let's talk about the future of the film industry in five years, and let's explore a collapse scenario. Let's explore a transformation scenario. Let's explore a discipline scenario, and we can brainstorm. But that's very different from the first case, which was the in-casting, right? In a world where you know the world has collapsed, what does film look like is very different from imagine film transforms in a few years. And so that was a big learning for me that I don't know that anyone's called out. And it wasn't until I read all these all this literature that I was able to piece it together and say, wait a second, <laughs> these aren't adding up. And these are different schools of thought here, and people are talking about different things. And I was fortunate uh, enough to be able to interview several folks from different schools who've used this uh, and learned a lot. And so I'm, I am excited to pass that on and go deep with it. And it's, a, I come out the other, I came out the other end with a deeper understanding, as will everyone who reads this, but also not just one method, but at least two, <laughs> two different methods that I've picked up from this. And and um, one that's almost second nature in my head now.
0: It's been exciting. You mentioned the fact that you see this like, okay, this is a really cool method or a or, you know, really interesting tool. And I, I, I want to dig into this further. And then you start to find out there's different camps. Mm-hmm. You brought up jobs to be done. There's different jobs to be done camps, like people who kind of think of that process in slightly different ways and how liberal you can be with your interpretation of it versus how on the other end you have people that's like, you have to face, you know, do this step by step, every single step or it's not going to be valid. There's, there's different interpretations. And I think to a degree, at least the tools that I use and the methods that I use a lot in my work is there has to be a level of kind of abstraction of those tools to make it most relevant for the task at hand. But you have to know what those constraints are and you have to know to kind of balance in. And I find, and I guess what this is leading to, what I find exciting about this this club is that there's just so much potential for these different methods and kind of having the tools in your Disposal at the right time. It's just, you know, kind of finding them and, and figuring out how to use them best is, is not an easy task.
1: Well, I'm excited that you mentioned that because there's several themes that I want people to experience. So one of those themes I, I state very explicitly, oh. which is there is no one right way to use this tool. Like in fact, everyone I spoke to used it in a different way. And that's okay. What they all agreed on was the purpose. Here's what it's for, and here's you know here are some fundamentals. But from there, Everyone made it their own, I think you used the word context or situation, right? Everyone made it their own for their situation and what they needed to do. So as long as you understand what it's good for, and what it's not good for, how you use it, then the tactics will vary, and that's actually good. Like tools evolve, tools change, tools get modified. Another thing that's exciting is seeing how people remix tools. So you know, this month it may be one very discrete tool, but roll the clock forward, it might be you know, what if we combine that alternative futures tool with this other thing over here? What's you know, we create a new third tool, and we we see this all the time in different ways. And so to make a make a club of that, right? A sport of that, (laughs) make it where that's okay and encouraged. And there is no one right way that you must be, you must do things. I think that's, um, I think if you work as a consultant or if you started or spent most of your career in in a startup environment, it's, you've probably developed this mindset where you have to be scrappy and you figure out the way to do things that work in your case. Um, If you've worked in a big organization or an agency I see a lot more folks who've been trained with the right way to do things or a repeatable process. And there's a little bit of hesitation about moving beyond the way you were taught how to do something. And so I want to challenge people and say, look, let's focus on the intent, the purpose, and there is no hard and fast way. Like that book you read that told you how to do it, that author has gone on and learned new ways and new things they just haven't written about yet, right? And you are free to do the same. So that that idea of like there is a right way to do things is a thought of who people challenge and question in themselves if, if that's relevant.
0: I like that because it, it, this is how I approach my work and I'm just speaking for myself. But I work as a consultant. so I work with a, a small, small multidisciplinary team. But when we go into projects, I mean, we can work in anything from medical to, you know, any type of, you know, consumer design. We look at projects more as like goals. What are the goals and objectives? And really try to stay away from what are those discrete steps in the process, tactics, things like that, that we're absolutely on the hook to do. And it's because every day brings a different challenge. And having those tools and being able to to kind of do the right thing on any particular day is the right thing to do if you're going towards that goal. So I've worked on the the big corporation side and I, I do see that those forces of, we do it this way because, and I don't want to minimize that because I think that there's a, a lot of value in that, but I think it's also the, the less risky way to go mm-hmm. where less risk, that's risky doesn't necessarily mean it's going to help you come to better outcomes. So I, I think I look at these are like, these are tools to reach objectives.
1: One of the things I had to check myself on and one of the areas I grew uh, in over the last three years was when I joined the uh, very large organization mm-hmm. with, I think, 500 designers throughout the organization I think I walked in with a very uh, Bruce Lee, flow-like water sort of attitude, and I've never used the same tool twice, you know, sort of, yeah, <laughs> sort of yeah, response. Yeah. And, you know, the group I walked into, there were several folks who were like, can you just tell us the five tools we should use for the rest of eternity? And um, there was a lot of judgment on my part, but... After I'd been there for a bit, I grew to understand where they were coming from and their experiences. And, you know, if you're working in a large organization like that, there's a lot of rotation between teams. And so you need to have consistent tools and software and things so that it's not starting over just because you changed a, a team, right? So there needs to be some standards. So while I'm not on the you know five tools, only and ever camp, I've definitely swung towards a, a middle, like, OK, what can we reuse? Um, what is scalable across different scenarios? But again, with a caveat that everything can be modified and changed based on your context and use. So that was an area where I had to grow personally.
0: Yeah, it, it makes sense because, I mean, you, you think about it, you, you do have your go-to tools. Like I, I know I have my go-to tools.
1: Mm-hmm. As do I.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think it's just about always kind of challenging that you you have really great sessions using these tools, or or, you know you're you're you know facilitating something with this tool with a a larger team. You have wins, you have losses, and it's about understanding when the loss happens that there's a better place, better there might be a better way to approach that. Um, But so it's it's work to figure out what that better place is. You know, it's work to find that tool that's a better fit for it. And it's crowded out there, Mm -hmm. you know, following a ton of people on uh, UX centered people on Twitter is going to, you know, expose you to a hundred different ways of doing things in, in a month. So it's just like kind of filtering that.
1: Uh, something I want to comment on, you know, we're focusing on more on the product tools and things using by teams, but I want to go back to that complex topics yep. kind of center. And there was a, a false tension I felt going back a year or two ago where, you know, I was getting increasingly interested in systems thinking and complexity sciences and all of these, let me call them outward looking complexities. And at the same time, I was increasingly surrounded by folks who, who were executive coaches or People had facilitated self-awareness training or talked about vulnerability or empathy and all these topics, emotional intelligence. And, you know, let's put that in the, the bucket of like inward complexity, right? And I felt like I was at this point where I had to make a choice. Do I want to go deep in the outer, outer complexity stuff, or do I want to go like the coaching, you know, facilitator route, focus on inner complexity? And it felt like a, a, a choice I didn't want to make because, um, one, I was excited about both, but two, I, I felt like there was a coupling there. And there was a book I read that was referred to me uh, late last year called Immunity to Change. And in the opening book, or in the opening chapter, sorry, he's talking about adult learning development. And he says, look, if, if we want to deal with this outer complexity, and the language may be different, but... Uh, if we want to deal with its outer complexity, we have no hope of doing that if we don't learn first how to deal with our own inner complexity. So if we don't learn how to be self-aware and look inward and look at our interpersonal and personal relationships, um, how can we deal with these complex systems breakdowns outward? And it it was the first text I'd read that really showed the coupling between those two ideas. And I felt so relieved. I was like, yes, I don't have to choose. It's, it's, you know, it's a false choice that I'm, that I'm being presented here. And so we can talk about complex topics as Um, like using a model from systems thinking one month and the next month uh, talking about a tool to help you become aware of uh, beliefs, right? And healthy beliefs or unhealthy beliefs or what have you. And that's okay. In the next month, we can talk about a tool from futurist thinking. In the next month, we can talk about patterns in history, right? That's okay. Because these are all things that help us, help bring people into dialogue around complex topics.
0: Even just talking through those different examples, it's... Shifting degree of focus, you know, if you're you're looking at like, you're looking from further out, closer in, looking at different perspectives, it's, it is taking different perspectives with the tools, which I think is important, because if not, we start to think these tools are all to reach the same, you know, maybe not specific conclusions, but they're at the same level of focus.
1: That just keeps it rich and interesting too. Keeps Mm -hmm. people on the toes. What's going to be next month?
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So speaking of which, when we talk about
1: like these month cycles with this, what does a month look like in the club? So my plan going into it was I would release a new report the second Tuesday of every month. That's not happened, but that's okay. There's there's reasons and complications why, but that that would be the ideal rhythm that I end up with. So treating it kind of like a magazine, in a sense, where there's a new issue every month, um, although I don't quite like that framing. So that's what the monthly cycle looks looks like. Of course, I think as anyone who does research knows, like you can't constrain, you can't start at the beginning of the month and publish at the end of the month. You have to start months in advance, especially when there are books you're interviewing and books to read and other things to do. So I'm still learning how to project manage myself more like a magazine journalist. That's a that's a new, new <laughs> skill I've got to develop, a new muscle. But that's kind of what I imagine when I talk about the monthly cycle. And I did some brainstorming when I came up with this idea last year. I said, okay, if I can't come up with at least three or four years worth of topics, this thing has no legs. And I started brainstorming and keeping a running list and Pretty soon there were over 200 tools or methods or activities or things. And I was like, okay, there's plenty here. <laughs> I've got plenty of runway. So now it's been a matter of how do I want to sequence each? What's a good rotation of tools You know, from the tools with outer complexity versus inner complexity versus looking ahead and so on? And making sure I, I'm listening to the struggles that folks are having and making sure the tools that I'm curating are in response to those, and I'm not off, you know, <laughs> creating things for myself in an imaginary world of problems that don't exist for other folks. And that's that to me is um, when folks have asked about the community part. I'm like, okay, look, first and foremost, the at least to start, the social object are these reports. That's what we're going to gather around and talk about. But it's not just the community in support of these things. Like, the community is the lifeblood. It's the oxygen that we need to breathe to make these things and make them better. So it's. Um, there's a relationship there between having a conversation a dialogue around these tools themselves and whether they're useful relevant and and so on
0: yeah I mean just being a fly on the wall and contributing where I can with the groups right now I mean it seems like a full- time job <laughs> like, like <laughs> i, I it, it gives me a little bit of anxiety thinking of what's <laughs> going on, on 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 your side of it
1: it is a full- time job right now this is all I'm doing so it's um no trainings no workshops right now this is it so that's where I'm putting my 40 sometimes 80 hour weeks <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm going to throw out the kind of
0: ubiquitous question that where do you see a year from now 12 months from now
1: what does success look like to you for this let me talk about that like just Tactically, but then they get more aspirationally. So tactically, like I've developed a good habit, a rhythm of producing these reports. There is active dialogue and feedback and conversation around them. So things don't just get published, but they get iterated on and improved. Uh, ideally, there is enough people who are paid members that this is sustainable for me financially. Um, <laughs> I'm still doing it. So that's that's all the tactical stuff. But how to get to the heart of the question? How do I know if this is successful or not? I don't know if there's any hard way to quantify success for in terms of the mission, but if I'm hearing anecdotes and stories from people who said, you know what, I was struggling with this, but then you know this tool you shared helped me, or our team was having this tension and we tried this and wow, things are so much better, or the organization was fumbling around with these ideas and the tool that um, I discovered by Way of Mighty Minds changed us in this positive way. When I can start to see those anecdotes and stories come back, to me, that's that's the real um, testimony to success, those anecdotes and stories. And that's what I'll be looking for.
0: I wish you the best of luck with it. And I'm a member and I, I plan on being a, along for the ride. So uh, just like to thank you and best of luck with Mighty Minds and the book's continued success too. And looking forward to that next one. Great. Thank you, Jonathan. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for listening to Design Everywhere. Please take a moment to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app. We have a lot more episodes in the works. And if you can give us a rating or review, we'd love to hear what you think. Thanks to Stephen P. Anderson. You can find him online at poetpainter.com, themightymindsclub.com, and on Twitter at Stephen Anderson. You can follow the show on Twitter. Just search for Design Everywhere Podcast. That's at design underscore every. Uh, You can also follow me, Jonathan Morgan, at promorock. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our producer, Leah Longbreak, and audio engineer, Sean Rule Hoffman. I'm your host, Jonathan Morgan, and this is Design Everywhere. Thanks for listening.
1: Hey nerds, I'm Sarah, the paper nerd. And if you've ever wondered what goes into that greeting card you just sent or received well quite a lot get your paper fix on the paper fold where i host an enchanting mix of personalities and players all noting out on my favorite topic stationary from the designs of our snail mail communications to the precious space created when two people correspond there's a lot to cover so come grab a seat in the stationary community's only five-star paper salon the paper fold now part of the evergreen podcast network